For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the 360 Recruiting Podcast, a podcast for OU recruiting fans by Sooners360.com. Each week we catch you up on the latest in OU recruiting news and provide opinions and evaluations on all things OU football recruiting. I'm Chris Mason, lead recruiting analyst for Sooners360.com. I'm joined this week by Caleb Cummings, my usual co-host, Sooners360.com talent evaluator and opinion creator. This is episode 60. It's going to be a two-parter again. This is the first part, titled 27 for 27, and some portal notes. And then we're going to record uh, tomorrow night, hopefully, we're going to record part two, where we talk about how much do we like this recruiting class. So we're going to move on to the latest in OU recruiting news. And as always, Caleb, we start with commitment news and... Shockingly, for signing day and signing day week, all we have to talk about is a portal commitment. So, oh, you got a badly needed portal commitment from Southeast Louisiana tight end Bauer Sharp, who 247 in their weird transfer rankings is calling him a high uh, mid-level four-star transfer. <laughs> they don't have a rating for him out of high school because they just didn't bother rating him at all. Um, and, uh, PFF, um, is calling sharp based upon their, on their combined ranking system. They were saying that he was one of the top five tight ends across all of college football last year, which I was a little surprised at, but I was happy to see. So I think we finally actually have footage of him catching a pass, Caleb. We still haven't seen him actually block a human being live on a football field. But, That's my trailing joke every time, right? Is Kenny Block? Yeah, yeah, Kenny Block. Uh, in our in our admin chat, it's always so. But we have we've seen him as a Wildcat QB. I watched his his Dothan, Alabama senior year quarterback highlights. They're not bad. I'm really kind of surprised he didn't get a G five QB offer from somebody. He's it was really good, really pretty good stuff. You know, Dothan, Alabama is not a big, not a big place in Alabama, but you know, it's just as it's football players it's in, in Alabama high school football. So I was a little surprised by that. But Caleb, now that we've seen some wildcat quarterback and we finally dug up some pass catching highlights, what do you think of the six foot five, two hundred and forty five pound? He looks in great shape. Oh, he looks 
Yeah, he looks he looks the part on the hoof. You can tell he's a uh, kind of a high cut guy. You know, uh, packs like lean mass on pretty easily. You, you know, you can see it, right? He he looks uh, he's a pretty looking athlete. <laughs> is a, is a way of saying it. Uh, I'd have. I'm like, let me preface everything what I'm about to say with like the same, like for you, it's like beating the dead horse. Like I have zero idea if he can block. <laughs> I just, like, I don't know. Can he set an edge? How, you know, how is he? I assume in space as a blocker, he's, he's really good because he's really athletic and he's big. Right. So some of the stuff like in the quick game that we saw like Stogner struggle with, a lot uh, at times like Oklahoma state was a game he did. I think Kansas was another one where, you know, they have him in flexed and he's got to, you know, he's got to get a block on the perimeter on a safety or and if he does, you know, it's a big, it's a much bigger play than it was. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And there's some times where, you know, Stogner's, you know, six, six and, and 260 pounds or 255 pounds and a lot of tread on the tires. And we just wouldn't be able to get, you know, in position to get that block. Uh, I, I think, you know, Bauer, he won't have a problem in that. The only thing I don't know is like, can he line up in line? If you put him in that sniffer spot, you know, and he's going to be leading up on a on the inside linebacker, how does he? How is he going to do that? Is he good with you know putting his nose in there? Uh, all of that aside, I mean, I think you could absolutely see why Oklahoma went after him as a pass catching tight end. There's some tape I've seen on Twitter of him like you know in the his split flexed, yeah, running a slant. Big body guy. He runs. He he's just a really good athlete. Uh, yeah. So big body guy can run, can change direction really well, can throttle up, throttle down, throttle back up, which is what you you know. I think that's really what helps make a tight ends really really good. Like the difference makers, like a Travis Kelsey, is. His is kind of two parts. You know, I think he's got an amazing feel for space and how to shield guys, you know, basketball background. But with that, he's also fantastic at like being able to get up to top speed for a big guy and then immediately throttle down. And uh, like you see Bauer, he's able to do, you know, when say he's like Travis Kelsey, but he's able for his body type and his size to get throttled up and then and then move laterally, throttle back down and create space. And that's where you create space, you know, is the ability to do that, like throttle up, throttle down, break in, break out uh, and move. He does that like a much smaller guy. He moves like a, he's listed as 6'5", 245. Uh, he, he moves like he's 6'3", 6'2", 230 pounds. He moves like a, a different type of athlete. So, no, I mean, I, as a as a pass catching as a all around tight end, I mean he's he's really good. I can absolutely see why they went after him, you know. And there's been some Division two guys, and he's one double A, you know. But the tight end at Florida State that Florida State took out of D two last year is interesting, right? Because Florida State took two portal tight ends. One was the D two kid. The other was the kid uh, out of South Carolina, and I, I'm, his name is blanking on me, but you know, he was a big time yeah, recruit. He was a big, big time recruit. It was like, why is he leaving South Carolina? It was uh, yeah, yeah. He was a big was time it Skinner? recruit. Was it Skinner? Jaleel Skinner? No, no. He's that's the that's the kid right now. Uh, I'll, I'll look this up, but yeah, he uh, Oklahoma recruited the kid. He was out of Georgia. Yeah, uh, I remember. I remember who you're talking about. 
Yeah, but you know, it's interesting, right? Like you hear, so here's Florida State last year in the portal. They go get two tight ends. One's an SEC kid that was, you know, honorable mention or all SEC. The other one was a Division II player. And the D2 kid ended up playing, uh, you know, more snaps and was more of their every every down guy, Jaheim Bell. Now, I think I'll Bell snap. was more of the, yeah, was, was more of like their receiving threat and their move guy. But in terms of, you know, uh, Kyle Morlock was the Division II guy. Great, in terms great, of great, they, la- great know, last name. Great last name. Right. Yeah. You know, the, the villains so, from um, H.G. Wells, you know. The, the Morlocks with the villains in um, the Time Machine, H.G. Wells' uh, book, The Time Machine. Sorry for a oh, random was. reference there. The, the, Morlocks would, the, Morlocks, the Morlocks would grab the, the day people during the night, grab them, and then eat them. They were cannibals. It was the Morlocks were the evil, oh, evil man. folks. So, okay, anyway, I've seen topic, I've, Sorry, I've, but that bad uh, <laughs> Guy Pierce, uh, Jeremy no, Irons but- movie. The Morlocks are the villains in that. Sorry, guys, to digress down yeah, a, I like Guy Pierce, a, a yeah, rabbit that, hole that of my. It wasn't a great. It wasn't a great movie. No, my my rabbit hole of bizarre information, guys. Sorry, um, you now know why I'm a trivia master. So well, let's get back to football. But you're right, Morlock was the guy we were looking at last year. You and I exchanged it back and forth. Like, well, maybe we should look at this guy. He's big. He's got good stats. You know, I know he's I know he's from you know a lower level, but what 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 you know what are we looking for? No, and he did really well. Hank said he played. He's a big part of what Florida State did, and I think you know we're seeing that more and more. And I think we're just going to continue to see it more and more with the transfer portal being what it is. You have so many teams and so many coaches that are looking for what is my quick fix right now. Like we talked a little bit earlier about Colorado. Colorado has signed five high school players. Everything else is portal. And maybe you can make an argument that all Deion Sanders cares about are his two sons and his and Shadur, the quarterback. And he wants to try to get him win now, do this now. I don't care about developing for two years or three years. I just don't care about developing high school talent, right? Maybe that's maybe there's a deeper reason there. But I think what the trickle down impact of that is there are just more and more guys that, you know, in years past. We're like a Bauer Sharp that, hey, they would have ended up at Ole Miss and Ole Miss would have developed him. And he's a, boop, here you go. He's like an all second team, all SEC tight end, you know, by the time he's a, you know, saw, redshirt sophomore or a junior. And now instead of that happening, Ole Miss goes and signs 20 guys out of the portal every year. They don't sign high school players. And so that kid ends up going to, you know, Southeastern Louisiana and works his way back up. Uh, you know, so I, I, I really like him. I'm really interested to see if, you know, does Oklahoma, that tight end room is all about development, right? From underneath him, like what does, you know, uh, does Caden Helms, can he get back? I've, you know, seen on his podcast, he looks physically like you can tell he's put some time in the weight room. He's more broad to shoulder, a little more thick, you know, is, can he hold up? Uh, how is McIntyre coming along or does Oklahoma, you know, with the portal guys are looking at, do they also think about maybe potentially a tight end too, uh, or do you stick good with, with Bauer? Uh, I think he'll either way. I think he's, you know, he's, he'll be able to play this year and help him. Yeah. He's, he, he just, his, um, just his profile. It just sort of looks like, yeah, that's what a tight end should look like. That's what a college tight end, uh, to a dual purpose pass receiving, college tight end should look like like athletically his frame is just like yeah if you if i was constructing a guy that's sort of more or less what he would look like yeah 
Um, so portal forecasts, no verbals yet, but it certainly sounds like, Caleb, that we're getting some O-line help in the ins- in, in, inside. We already got Spencer Brown at tackle. That sounds like OU has got a lead for Gino Vandermark from Michigan State and Fabeki Nawawu or Nowewu. I'm not sure which where the A emphasis there is from North Texas. So it sounds like OU has a lead, and we could be hearing verbal commitments from them maybe after the holidays because you know we're kind of getting closer to Christmas, and so you know I'm not sure starting Saturday. I'm not sure how much the OU coaches are really focused on portal stuff with the bowl game coming up and also split their time between the holidays. So we'll see. But OU looks like they're in good shape there. Now, Brent today, to your point, Caleb, at the press conference said that OU's looking to sign 27 to 28 high school guys and looking to sign around 10 portal guys. So by our math, Sharp takes OU to five verbals. Brown. Sharp, Malone, Franklin, Burks. And then we think we think they'll take both Vandermark and Nwewe, right? They they need to, right? At least. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I think he also said, right, at some point in the presser, uh, you know, he was commending Bill on the offensive line class, right? So signing those five. And he, he said, you know, we'll add four more. Okay. Uh, and obviously, like I said, they've got Brown. That's their target, yeah, right? You've got Brown. Absolutely. So that so – that, Leaves maybe two players left, two spots left. Maybe they go up to a third. One interesting name, which I'm not sure right off the bat it's a need, but uh, five-star Damani Jackson, cornerback from USC, entered the portal. And Jay Valai was his primary recruiter at Alabama, and he nearly signed with Alabama out of high school uh, as part of the 2022 class. Uh, Jay Valai recruited him all through that that year, and then Jay – joined the OU staff in January of 2022, along with uh, Todd Bates. They were kind of the last additions, if I recall right. Uh, so that's an interesting, because Jackson's a five-star guy. Someone asked me, well, you know, well, how's he playing? And I was like, well, it, and that whole Grinch defense, it's it's so hard to tell. And they're like, well, how long do you think to deprogram him? I'm like, that's also a good question. <laughs> I don't know. So... Um, uh, if you guys haven't read, if you guys have a, a subscription to the Athletic, please make sure you read the scathing article that they wrote about USC this week. It's fantastic, and, and you it's know, it's a great article. The it's, way but you, it's, the way you, oof, yeah, the way you described it, there is scathing. It is, and I, I, I think it reads when you're reading it. It was not intended to be that. Right. This is one of those articles where I don't think yeah, there was yeah. a confirmation no, no, bias no, no, no. where, you know, a writer had a theory and he set out to prove the theory and then, and, and then you know, make sure that he forms the narrative to fit it. I think it was genuinely a, a question of what went wrong this season with USC. Let's go talk to all the other coaches in the, in the Pac-12. And then, and things, and things just started unspinning, right? And it was and like, 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 okay, well, oh shit, there's a lot that went wrong here. And it's, I will say this, like I, I, <laughs> I joked and I was like, you know, I took, and a lot of us did, that saw like this coming with at least to say this, saw what was occurring with Lincoln at Oklahoma in this unraveling where Bob had really built it back up, handed him this great roster, and it just started to fall off. Like recruiting started going down, players were not developing, things weren't hitting. You started to see all of the 
all the discipline issues that had kind of cropped up there that almost caused Bob to leave, right? But he fixed, like you saw them starting to come back. And it was like, what the hell's going on? And then like, you know, I made the immediate question of like this, he feels like Mark Helfrich to me. Right. Right, this, right. He feels like, you know, riding the coattails of someone else. And I'm this genius. And I've always thought that the one thing that Lincoln did the best, I do think he's a good offensive coordinator, but the thing he did the best was I don't know what publicist group he hired when he was at Oklahoma, but he hired a group that got in with guys like Gil Brandt and others that pushed this narrative. And they literally was talking about he is a genius. And that got pushed out that he is this next level. He is smarter than everybody in the room. You know, there's like that old saying, right? Like a man can't wear one face to the crowd and one, you know, in, in private without becoming confused as to, you know, which is real. And like, that's true. Like that's like a deep psychological truth. And I think it's absolutely true with Lincoln. You know, I think he, he bought into that, that he is this genius and it's completely unraveled. And the thing that was really scathing to me is when you heard those off those other coaches in the Pac-12 talking about, man, we played against Grinch's defense in the past, and it was always very aggressive, but it was sound. They tackled decently well. And it goes, we played them now, and it was 11 guys just doing random shit. It was like they, what I'm called it, like it was a bunch of mercenaries that were just playing kind of for themselves and just. Well, they used, they used the term AU basketball, right? It's like an AU basketball football team. Yeah. That's what they said. It was like, yeah. And, and then one of those guys, one of the coaches mentioned, like, well, they got everybody they wanted out of the portal. It's like, we wanted this guy, Bear Alexander. We got him. We want this guy. We got him. You know, Anthony Lucas, we got him. Go and get all those guys. And there is just this, I've often thought that we're in, we are in the current generation of the video game coach or group of like guys that where they came up, they didn't come up under like old school coaches, like a Marty Schottenheimer, right? They came up in the video game era where it was, well, I'll just import this really good player. I'll create this guy and I'm just going to call plays and I'm going to do this. And the, the nuts and bolts of like developing people and developing culture and developing toughness and doing all these things weren't, they didn't, they don't. They don't cultivate it, you know, and at the end of the day, you know, when <laughs> when uh, Utah is just lining up and that coach does cultivate that culture, he just going they're going to run through you. It's the old the old Marshawn Lynch, uh, my favorite players of all time, you know, his line. Right. When he's talking about, you know, you run through a mother's face, uh, you know, and that's what you learn. They don't like it. And, and they'll lay down. And I think that's what you, you found. You know, it's well, I mean, the. I mean, it's the Samaj P. Ryan fourth quarter business decision tackling, right? Yeah, I'm I, I'm not tackling Samaj P. Ryan. The the laundry cart on on and, and pads, right? I'm fourth quarter. Yeah, I'm 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 not tackling that guy, and that's why Samaj takes a twenty what's a fifteen yard run and turns it into a sixty yard run. Absolutely. Because, you know, and, you know, yeah, some, I'm not I'm not really tackling that guy as much as I should be. There were even know? some small things in that article where. I think as Oklahoma fans, you know, I'll leave it at this and why I think it's, it's such a good, good read is I think when you read it as an Oklahoma fan, it's not written. It's, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's West Coast. It's, right? it's, it's all guys. USC it's not, guys. Yeah, yeah. That are, that's why it's so good for OU fans is it's this group of people that wrote this, that were, they were living in this bubble, unaware of like kind of how Oklahoma fans began to see Lincoln and definitely how they saw him post leaving. And the media. And the media. And the media and the- right. So they just saw it as like the offensive genius has come to the West Coast. So then they start digging in and all the things that we saw, it's like, oh, it's right there. 
to the point that even one of them, they talk about like, you know, him not understanding of, okay, we don't have a great defense, but we're actually running the ball decently well. But for whatever reason, we just don't run the ball. We just give up on it. We don't do it very often. We don't like to do it. We don't try to do it. We don't establish it. Even when we're running it well, it, it talks about one of the games, maybe it was against Utah, where they had 100 and, 110 yards in the first half, right? And they finished – or 110 yards, I think, in the first quarter. That's what it was. They had 100 yards rushing in the first quarter, and they finished the game with 140 yards rushing. It's like they ran it great in the first quarter and then just decided, we don't want to run it anymore. We just want to throw the ball. And uh, I think the – I'll leave it at this. I've already said that once. The old question always was, what would Mike Leach do if you gave him a blue blood? That's what he would do if you gave him a blue blood. Because you don't play, you know, you can't be the offensive head coach. You know, the head coach, you're the head coach of the team. And teams win games, not offense, not just quarterbacks. So when you are, you know, that singularly focused you're missing out on everything else all the other stuff in the margins and they didn't even in the margins right like that's the important stuff and uh yeah it's uh <laughs> it's funny for i think some of us to watch unravel so we got we so to recap 10 portal guys five slots taken we think two more have taken okay so ou has one offer out there that we know for certain a guy they really want and he is Albany defensive end. He's 6'3", 270. He, is, he goes to Albany, and, he's a, and he has an Albanian name, which is kind of funny. Um, uh, his name is Anton Junkaj. And the name Junkaj is an Albanian name. It represents one of the Albanian tribes and clans of northern Albania. I, I looked it up. Caleb um, and I have determined if he chooses OU... We are officially called, giving him the nickname the Impaler. And Tom the so Impaler. We are copywriting that right now. Any of you guys trying to steal that, we're coming after you in court. Okay, so it is Anton. If he's a Sooner, Anton John Anton the Impaler John Catch. Now, the reason why everyone has offered this kid is as a he he had fifty five tackles this year at at Albany. 21 and a half for loss. So basically, 40% of his tackles were tackles for loss, which is a stupid ratio. He had 15 <laughs> sacks, 15 sacks. So, which I want, which, so actually, 60% of his 55 tackles resulted in a negative play. That's, that's kind of stupid numbers, Caleb. Um, when you add yeah. his. So, for an example, so everyone's like, oh, that's at Albany. How can that really translate? Well, Jared Verse, FSU All-American defensive end, likely first-round draft pick. Uh, at his his last year at Albany, that's where he came from, he had 52 tackles, 11 and a half tackles for loss, and nine and a half sacks. So, Anton uh, has exceeded his numbers. Now, OU offered him... Everybody on the defensive staff followed him. He tweeted back the offer, which is usually a sign that a kid's pretty excited about things because that requires a level of effort, right? Most of the time we don't hear that offers have occurred. But if a kid says, yeah, I got offered by OU, that maybe is a good sign. I, I think that's probably an early January kind of decision. But, but it's, OU, an inter- it's, an, it's an interesting one because when you look at you know the offers that he has tweeted out, 
and there might be more, you know, but it's Boston College, Arizona, Arizona State, Indiana, Kansas, Texas A&M, you know, uh, you know, it's a decent program. It is in the SEC. Oklahoma, they need, Arkansas. They need everybody because they're, yeah. they're hemorrhaging. They're hemorrhaging their roster. So. Yeah. Oklahoma, Arkansas, Houston, and Oklahoma State. I think at, on the surface you would look at that as an Oklahoma fan, and you'd be like, okay, well, that's you've, you're setting you're setting well there in that group. But again, to, always, to, get a, to get a visit, to get a visit, right? Like, okay. But you'll yeah. always say with portal guys, it's just different. You know, because it's, you it's, never know motivation, yeah, right? They're going to be wildly with it. But I will say, uh, I, I now really, you've watched some film, right? You've watched some film, right? I, I haven't. Have. You've watched some film of him. I have. I, I like the guy. I think there's. I will say you do. I think you see why the Jared Verse, uh, Anton the Impaler, and there's another defensive end. When you watch the tape, that's highly productive as well. I'm not sure what his name is, but you you see him making some plays. He's not nearly as long. Anton's listed at 6'3", 6'4", but he's he's probably longer. If he's 6'3", he's got a 6'5", 6'6". He's got a maybe a 6'6", plus wingspan. He's, he's a little bit long levered. Uh, he's not a sawed-off guy, to use that term. But you, it's an aggressive – they put him kind of like in a, almost like a wide nine. Uh, it's a little bit like – what was it? Oh, gosh. Jim – I'm trying to think of uh, – was a head coach in the NFL for a little while, but then was a defensive coordinator. Lions head coach uh, was a D.C. for the Eagles, and they won the Super Bowl. Regardless, but it was a bit of a his his scheme, right? He was going to put his defensive ends in wide nines. They were going to be super aggressive, and defensive line was going to attack and get up the field. And you see that with him. Uh, but definitely one of the things you see with him, though, is he is really adept at converting speed to power. Like that's the thing he probably does. I like the most about his game. He's got really, you know, that in his hands. Uh, he plays with his butt low, is able to, you know, get under the pads of the offensive tackle, really jack them up, uses that little bit of length and good placement with his hands. He's not running down the middle of offensive tackles. <laughs> so like we harped on like the back end of the year with like some of yeah. the OU's defensive ends of just whatever the, Friggin' problem was they would just start running down the middle of, you know, 320 pound guys. And, you know, like rule one, don't do that. Uh, he doesn't, you know. So, uh, I mean, I on the surface, you look at him and, you know, he absolutely looks like a guy that would come in and immediately be a rotational guy. You know, we have to see how PJ, you know, develops, see how R. Mason Thomas continues to develop and how he just – his ankle or foot, you know, hopefully, you know, Lord willing, he's, he's good to go there and doesn't have any more setbacks because as crazy as this sounds, our Mason Thomas was, will be going into his junior year at Oklahoma. And it look, it feels like he got to Norman yesterday and it was getting talked about. And now he's, yeah, yeah. you know, he's a, he's an upperclassman. He's it's a, wild. That's how, it's how fast it goes, right? Like if, you know, you're, you get banged up a little bit here, banged up a little bit there. You can blink in, you know, 26 games or whatever it is of your college career, 25 games have passed you by, you know. Uh, so, you know, I, you could do a lot worse than Anton the Impaler in, in, the, in the portal. And, I, you know, plays – looks like a Brent Venables guy. I'll say that, you know, because of the motor that he plays with, the intensity that he plays with, the physicality that he plays with. Uh, he plays, you know, a little a hair on fire. You know, he, play, he plays 
bigger than he is. I think he plays quicker and plays faster than he'll test all those, all those things. And I don't say any of that to say that he's undersized or that he's not twitchy and, you know, that he's not athletically gifted. He is all those things, but uh, you know, he, he just plays with a, with a, with a really high motor. Make, make it a lot out of what he's got. Absolutely. You, you want those guys, right? You want guys that, you know, it's kind of like wild man, you know, they're going to, you're letting those guys loose so to speak, you know, you want, you don't want, you don't want your defensive guys to be reserved. <laughs> so defensive tackle, I know everyone's screaming, where's the defensive tackle? Well, oh, you did offer Chris McClellan. He's taking some visits and I think he may end up at Missouri. I kind of wonder if um, McClellan took some visits, got some, got some money offers from Colorado and Missouri. And then, and then I have to wonder if he came back to OU and OU is like, yeah, that's that's nice. You're we're not we're not we're not matching those guys. We're not like desperate like they are. So yeah, and I mean, you tell me, Chris, and and, and you are and you are not you're not worth this. He maybe maybe y'all end up being wrong, but I think OU and OU was like we were willing to take you at this. We don't think you're that. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you, you can be better with us, but that's yet to be proven. But you're not you're not this and. We're not giving you this money, so thank you, and well, thank you for playing, and we'll 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 keep in touch. We'll keep in yeah. touch. I think you look at it like I'm sure you know. And there was talk about it with the one the the one you know Oklahoma one NIL program of like, hey, they were going to try to put kids on effectively, you know, like what was it a thirty or a fifty thousand uh, dollar almost like salary, right? Was was going to be like base, just going to pay out everybody? And I don't know if that ever got off the ground, if they're doing that or what it looks like, you know, in that regard, but I'm with you. I, I would just have a really difficult time because at the end of the day, what Chris is, Chris is a rotational guy. He's not a world beater. He's not an all conference guy. He's not a first round. So far, pick. so far. Well, maybe he so could far, be, maybe he could be, but like I always have this, you know, it's like Anton the Impaler. Like we just talked about, here's a guy that is like hair on fire, you know, uh, breaking it open and, and and getting everything he can out of it. And Chris, I want he's not the polar opposite of that, but he sure as hell don't fall in that same bucket. He's not a guy you look at and say, man, you know, he is playing with a, an uncommon intensity. He plays with an edge in every snap he's out there. He's getting the most of it. Like none of that stuff's true. And I don't mean to be like he's a bad player because he's a good player when he wants to be a good player, you know, but like, that's where I say like, okay, uh, Oklahoma's returning Lacey. They're going to return Terry. You know, you've got the kids they've got that are, you know, younger. Uh, you, you've got a uh, Grayson Halton again, another guy that will be going to year three that does play. He's a little undersized, still getting, I guess, not as undersized anymore at around two ninety. Uh, you know, but let's put it this way: like Chris McClellan was like the D tackle two to three for for Florida, right? He was a rotational guy. He had a, a, a primary three man. You now I say that they played five, uh, but he was among the top three in terms of snaps. Like that's what he would probably be at Oklahoma, unless David for, for a for a Florida defense that was not exactly setting anybody on fire. No, for a Florida defense that's you know gonna that and a couple other things are probably going to get Billy Napier fired mid next year. 
Well, we'll talk about that. Actually, he may he may not last um, to Christmas based upon some of the signing day stuff. We could talk about it in a minute. But yeah, I mean, if I would say this, and I don't mean I don't all that I just said about Chris. I think where he would fit in really, he could fit in really well for Oklahoma. Would be the because he's a bigger kid. I, I, we've talked a little bit about hey, do you get him in with Schmitty and you try to get him back? In, in a bit better shape because that's another position thing. Florida State's fired their their strength and conditioning coach, and they're going to make a change there. And I, I joked about it when I watched them like Florida State game. I was like, I've never seen a Florida team look like this on the hoof. Uh, so and against Utah, they looked so bad to begin the season, uh, right? It was just, it's just big and slow, kind of you know. And yeah, it's, it's it's surprising to see Florida look like that when you got used to. As a kid, it was I watched the Spurrier teams, and then you know you transition into you know, even Ron Zook had physically talented teams and, and Urban, obviously. But uh, I think where Chris could potentially provide the most for Oklahoma is hey, maybe you don't slim him down that much and you keep him in that 320 range and he's a rotational piece with DeJon Terry as your nose guard. And, you know, as your big, big, as your big as guy. As your big guy. And he's, you know, DeJon Terry and, and Chris are going to give you, you know, between the two of them, they're both going to give you 35 snaps a game or, or whatever that looks like, uh, you know. Maybe, maybe that would be. And to me, that's like, like that's your best case scenario for Chris. And so, if if it's someone's like, hey, we're going to give you a ton of money, hey man, you know, go take it. <laughs> so there's not many, but there's not many other much traffic going on. So which is interesting because I I do like the I, I do like the Michigan State defensive tackle. Uh, Harmon is it Harmon? Yeah, yeah uh, Harmon. I've, I've been a little bit surprised. He's a big kid, six five, three twenty. Really long arms, though. And it's something that you know you hear Bates talk a lot about is you know just length and playing long. Uh, and he played well at Michigan State. And again, that's a Big Ten as a line of scrimmage league. There's some really good offensive linemen in that league. You know, obviously, him going up against you know guys at Michigan and Penn State and Iowa, uh, you know. So I've, I've been surprised, honestly, that Oklahoma hasn't gone after him. Uh, you know, and I know it could be. You know, I you know you know Brent values the in state, and, and Chris being an Owasso, being a kid, being a Tulsa area kid, that maybe that's maybe that's why they put a little more value on, on that. Well, we don't know what's going on at defensive tackle. Maybe there's more names entering the portal. We'll we'll wait and see what's going on. I mean, that's our, our friend Anton just entered the portal a couple of days ago, so there are more names added. Caleb. We think a second offensive tackle is is in the picture. They haven't made any offers there yet of anybody we think. But you think Notre Dame um, offensive tackle Michael Carmody might be a good fit for that second tackle slot? So, yeah, I do. I think – so for me, you know, if you're looking at it from like a personnel perspective and you're just trying to put together that unit – you know, I think the first question you have to ask is, where's Logan Howland? Second question you ask is, where is, you know, uh, Jake Taylor? Do we feel good about those guys as, at, you know, as worst case scenario, really quality backups that we can win with? Because, you know, like heaven forbid, you know, uh, Spencer Brown and, and really be truthfully, I think you want someone that can compete against both Sexton and Brown. Like you want a competition. I don't think either one of those guys are guys you roll in and say, oh, they're all Americans today. I think they're both 
extremely uberly talented. They're both prototypical in terms of like their size and their length and their ability to move. Uh, but they're both guys that Bill's got to continue to mold, which he's fantastic at. Uh, you know, for as much as people want to give him shit in other areas, like that part, he's really good at that part. You know, the thing I like about, so I guess we're going there is like, you got to ask yourself, what do you have in your young guys? Can they be that? If they can, can you go find a Tyler Guyton type? Is there someone out there that could be year one? He's so uber talented. We can play him some if we have to, like Oklahoma had to when, you know, Wanya Morris was suspended and they could throw Tyler out there and, and roll with it. You know, if not, the reason Carmody makes so much sense to me is like, okay, you're getting a guy, you know, top 250 kid out of high school, goes to Notre Dame. We know what Notre Dame does as it pertains to offensive line and tight end. You can say what you want in other spots, but you know along the line of scrimmage, Notre Dame really puts a lot in developing those guys. You know, Carmody started, I think, four games in 2021. Uh, you know, he, he started games at left tackle, multiple games. You know, one of them against Florida State going against, I think, is it Jeremiah Johnson that was a first-round draft pick out of Florida State that went to – and now starts at the outside linebacker edge for the Jets. You know, has and, – and, and fares well. He's a big kid. He moves extremely well. He is light, right? He's around 295 pounds. The biggest – he's got two years of eligibility. But the other piece is – so he got injured – in 2021, if you're wondering, like, why didn't he ever play anymore? And then Joe Alt came in. Joe Alt will be the top tackle taken in this year's NFL draft and likely a top three to top five pick. You know, probably top five because you maybe see, you know, quarterbacks go one, two. And he, so he could be three, but Joe Alt's going to be a top five pick. So, but after that, you know, they kicked Carmody in and he played guard some. He started a game at center and played some center. And so you, he would give you this jack of all. Right. If you can get him from 295 to 315, you can really say, hey, all we want you doing is eating, you know, protein and carbohydrates and let's get you a little bit bigger and stronger. You've got a guy that likely can compete, you know, and rotate at either tackle spot or heaven forbid, again, something happens and you need somebody to play inside. Well, hey, we've got a guy that spent four years at Notre Dame has played against, you know, all these teams, right? Started against Cincinnati, um, the Cincinnati team that played in the playoff, right? You know, so he's got a lot of, you know, uh, a lot of experience, you know, might he be someone that you could get? I know, I think, because, you know, finding guys that have experience and can be competitive, provide some competitive depth, is you know it's it's hard to find for that position in the portal. And I know there's you know maybe the the left tackle out of uh, out of UTEP, you know that entered in a couple of days ago. Uh, he's he's more of a guard guy. Right? I think he's six three. That's what he's listed. I was like, okay, um, yeah, it's don't need don't need another guard exactly. Um, and that's where it's like, ah, you're all what the team really probably needs is a swing guy. Like Jake Sexton was this year. Sexton was the backup left and backup right tackle, you know. And if, if that's what you could, if that's what you know, Bill gets Spencer Brown 100% right and ready to roll. Well, hey, you've got your right tackle maybe opposite of Sexton, and then you know you can get Carmody physically back, you know, in that range of 315. Well, hey, you know, we you got a, a swing guy that you can play left and right, and uh, you know maybe you even get a year of starting out of him. 
uh, after after Brown is gone. I don't know. I know that he's an intriguing guy. It's hard to find like a second tackle who you probably can't say I've got an open starting slot for you. Yeah, I think in that case, you think where, where Oklahoma does have, I don't know if it's an advantage, but you could go to Carmody and say, look, like you know, we think we can get you in here with Bill. And we think we can really focus on your weight this offseason, try to get 15 to 20 pounds on you. And we want you to go compete at right tackle. I don't, I can't, I can't, right. I'm not, I can't guarantee you that you can beat Spencer Brown out or Jake Taylor. You know, maybe you can, maybe you can't, but I'm going to give you the chance to do it. Like we've got. We're, we're an O line program, like Notre Dame. Yep. You know, Spencer Brown's only here for a year. You got two years. You'll play some. We'll rotate you in, and then the following year, you there'll be a wide open tackle spot for you to possibly go into. Just buying OU enough time to get guys like Howland and Autry and those other players, just some a little more seasoning, right? Just enough, just buying enough time until the five four five player classes, which I think you're we're talking about coming in, can 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 start to to stop you from being in the in the portal so much because it's i mean part of this is just you know i mean if someone was saying they were freaked out about the o-line for the bowl game i'm like look i'm not sure there's really anybody in the top 10 if you took away their starting tackles and their starting right guard feels good about their offensive line they'd roll out yeah yeah and the other thing about the about the bowl game is right yeah, like yeah. most almost all majority of these teams that are playing in the bowl, if you're not in the playoff let's be realistic uh, the playoff has completely taken what bowls used to be and it's destroyed it. Like bowls are not this big deal, you know, forever. You remember it was like, Oh, it, you know, was, it was one of the hidden ways to shit on certain coaches that were fantastic. It was like, well, you know, he wins 10 games a year, but he's two and seven in bowl games. Yeah. Right. And now it's like, well, nobody cares because half the teams opt out. You know, even yeah. you're seeing even like the Tonga Valoa kid at uh, Maryland, the quarterback in Pratt. He's not playing the ball. Yeah. yeah. Pratt at yeah. Tulane. You know, you're seeing guys that are going to be, I mean, look at Oklahoma, right? I mean, I don't mean to be, uh, I don't mean this, don't, it's, this isn't a bad, this is not a shot at Andrew Rame, but he's a likely maybe a fifth or a sixth round draft pick and he's opting out of the bowl game. You know, and so you're seeing guys that are, you know, mid and late round draft picks deciding, well, I don't want to play. It's like they're not, they're not, they're not McCaffrey, you know, they're, you know, who opted out of the bowl game. They're not, you know, any of these Derrick Henry opting out of his bowl game, I think when he was at Bama. Um, you know, it's not those guys, but it's, it's interesting to see. But just overall, you take away three starters from most top 15 teams in college football. They're gonna scramble to fill that in, 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 you know, for in January. They're not gonna be like, oh yeah, no problem, we got that. It's gonna be like, oh, yeah, oh crap. I mean, Al, you take Alabama's two top tackles away from them. They're starting the guy that went in the portal, and they had to convince to come back out of the portal, right? I mean, that's the thing. You nailed it. Like I think, and I talk about this some, right? Like when you're a really big time fan of a program, like there's two things in my mind, like two just psychological aspects that really jade you. One, your level of expectation is through the roof for your program, and your level of expectation for every pro, every other program you watch is non-existent. So you only see the good things from them and you see every single wart from Oklahoma because I I didn't realize this, 
But yeah, I mean, Alabama is starting a true freshman at right, at left tackle. And I think uh, Latham might be like a true junior at right tackle. And their primary swing guy is a redshirt freshman, the, the Pritchard kid that went into the portal for a second. I mean, Alabama and Nick Saban were scrambling their ass off being like, no, don't do that. Latham's going to go to the NFL. We're going to... We'll kick you to right. Like, we need you. You know, that's like the, you know, uh, the premier program of the last, you know, 15 years. And, you know, but you see it as an Oklahoma with fan. The, with, the most, with the most stable O-line recruiting, I mean, like, there's only a couple of programs we can, you know, that we're like, yeah, they, they pretty much have, I mean, Michigan starting transfers all over the flipping place. Michigan starting three yeah. transfers on their offensive line, you know. And last year they started, like, two, one or two transfers. I mean, Michigan is – you know, and, and but they do a good job of it, right? It's like we're going to go sign them, we're yeah, going to yeah, develop yeah. them. But we've talked about this. Like you're just that's one of those positions that it takes a lot of time, you know, because strength and it just takes longer to build that. Like it's a so yeah, Oklahoma fans. Like I've been like I yeah, it's bad, but guess what? It would be bad anywhere. Yeah, it's bad. I mean, but it, it, it's, yeah, you're not. You know what you're not doing? Like I mean, we'll put it this way. Like if Heath Ozeda had to start, you're at least you're starting a six foot five, three hundred and ten pound, like well built, athletic kid that can move. You're not starting and throw his and, and detach his head, throw it at people, <laughs> lock them with it. You're not, you, you know, know, you're not left starting like a, a walk on, right? You've got, and that's just you know what people just forget. I think like it's that is college football. You know, I, I can yeah. you and I can remember back to and this is real this is true okay like the 2008 offensive line you know like it was the best the Oklahoma's had maybe ever and it was starting you know two kids were junior college kids and Phil Lodeholt and you probably remember this Oklahoma it was if they did not get Brandon Walker out of Colleyville it was like I don't know who's going to start at guard in 2007, no, it was they had no nobody. one. They had no one nobody. off the top of their head yeah. can tell me who the seventh offensive lineman is on the 2008 OU football roster. And the sixth was Brian Simmons, and Brian Simmons was a converted defensive tackle that played guard. And he and and he did a great job. And he had a he had a uh, he had he played with a bad with a genetically bad foot. Yeah, that's why he couldn't play. The NFL was like no. No way in hell are our guys signing off on you. So. Right. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger. For the ones who get it done. Um, all right, so that's all right. So this is a recruiting show. It is flipping signing day. I am sick and tired of talking about portal stuff. We're now talking high school flipping recruiting. That's what I've been following for twenty years. This portal nonsense is it, it's great filler and it's all over the damn place. But today is National Signing Day, so we're going to talk about the OU class. So first off, Caleb. Other than some temporary weirdness with Taylor Tatum, OU goes 27 for 27. They had 26 of them in by 10.30 Central Time. And wow. by and then within 25 minutes of Brent's press conference, 
DeMarco Murray or Skip Johnson or some combination of the both, I don't know which, I'm just speculating here, got got Taylor Tatum on the phone and said, hey, dude, we, we actually need your signature today. Oh, oh, okay, yeah, no problem. Um, resolved whatever question he maybe had and 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 maybe they pointed him at you, like, hey, load ESPN Plus. Brent wants to talk to you about you right now. He can't because you haven't sent your letter in. Oh, okay, let me do that real quick. Blah, 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 cause it's now online. It's not, you don't have to print up and fax it and do all this stuff. It's now, it's now like an online form, right? So fills it out and then Brent, then Brent's like, oh, I can talk about Taylor Tatum. All right, let's talk about Taylor Tatum. So no real drama. And we'll get to national meltdowns in a minute and talk about some drama. <laughs> um, so no real drama. 20 early enrollees, eight players participating in ball practice. Which is wild. That's awesome, but wild. Which, so, so Caleb, no drama. That, to me, uh, I'll be interested in your answer, but it just speaks to Brent's culture, the way he's recruiting, and the way he's building a class. So... Why do you think OU's got so many signs that indicate that this class is already getting, I mean, when you talk about 20 players going through spring and getting integrated into the roster that much, all and 10 of them are linemen, which is like, sorry, nine of them are linemen, which is like fantastic. Well, it's like four O line, the, yeah. four O line and five D line. Is, Gil- all is Wyatt all. Gilmore a early enrollee? Yeah. So every defensive lineman, every defender, but all front, all front seven defenders are early enrollees. Yeah, because Nesta is as well. And don't you know Skip Johnson's wishing Nesta could play baseball this spring? Because that some bitch would play. <laughs> yes, he would. He would. I mean, he, he would be a relief pitcher. He they would. They, yeah. He would be a relief pitcher. Uh, so, and then four O line, and then four offensive linemen. Right, all the guys. That oh, it's huge! That you- it gets massive for the offensive line in in so many ways, and I. Really like this offensive line class. I only thing I wish is you wish there was another tackle, another high school tackle. Yeah. Having said that, I immediately go like the most hands down. Like there's guys in the class that are a little bit overlooked. There's guys that are intriguing, but and you can make cases for lot. And we talked about like Ivan Carry on. Like man, that guy is yeah. you know. And we're and in part two of this podcast, we're gonna go. Yeah, we're gonna give you a chance to talk about all your all the all the guys like that. There's there's absolutely a world that Daniel Aiken Kumi plays tackle. It's just that you know with him, it's like okay, here's a guy that played, and there's so many unknowns. But when you you know you you go look at him on the hoof and you watch him move and you look at that length, you could say he could play tackle. Like absolutely, when he's ready to go in a year or two. He can be a tackle, like without without a doubt. You know, it's it's just he's played both tackle and guard. He looks probably better at guard uh, in in uh, in high school. But again, you're talking about like just needing reps, reps, reps development. But to your question of like why, I think you're absolutely right. It's we and it's something we talk about a little bit on this, where it's like okay, I can watch the film. And I can see his highlights and sometimes I can go to max preps and I can see some additional like film that's not just highlights of him. I can see longer form so I can see him on like things where it's like, oh, the ball wasn't coming his way. How does he chase? You can see some of these things. But what I have absolutely no idea is like, how's the guy wired? You know, what is his, you know, uh, what is his character like? You don't know any of those things. And so we're oftentimes we're left being like, well, why doesn't Oklahoma recruiting this kid? 
It makes, I don't understand why they're not recruiting this kid. Well, there might be really big reasons why. And like with this class, it was, there was a stark contrast. And I want to see how this plays out over the next 24 months, 36 months, 48 months. But there was an absolute stark contrast between Oklahoma and quite honestly, I mean, Notre Dame might be the only exception in every other team that landed inside the top 10 in recruiting where it was zero drama. Everybody's locked in, has been locked in forever, ready to go. I mean, it was Alabama like fighting like crazy to try to flip kids, fighting like crazy to try to keep kids. I mean, Auburn was flipping kids, like fighting their ass off to keep kids. You saw Florida go from top five to I think in some of them, they're outside of the top 15 because every kid in the world just bailed on them except for Lagway. And we'll see when he transfers, <laughs> you know, I mean, and so to see everybody locked in, I think it just speaks to, you know, the consistency that like, I think and that's, you know, we've talked about forever, like with Brent and everybody talks about like, it's just, there's this level of like doing the same, just doing the hard work every single day over and over. And it's just so consistent that I think he just attracts guys like that. You know, I think, you know, there's going to be some of that, right? Like we're going to vet out guys that are our cultural fits. And we've joked on here and we joke in our admin chat sometimes where like when you see guys behaving a certain way, you know, it's Alfred Collins from a couple of years ago, right? I remember watching the guy and you thought that is a potential top 10 pick. He's got it all. And he chooses Texas for like during when them going through all the stuff they were going through with like replacing the coaches and, and all of that. And it was like, well, he just wanted to go to Texas and it was like, okay, well, and I, and I mean this like not in a mean way, cause he will play in the NFL, right? He sure he won't be a top 10 pick. I'd be shocked if he ever makes a pro bowl, you know? And so I'd, I'd be shocked if he starts, I think he'll probably be like a rotational guy. And so like the question of like, okay, did he kind of disqualify himself in terms of him raising his hand and saying, Hey, like me being the greatest football player I can be is secondary to me. Just wanting to go to school at the university of Texas close to my parents and get a, get a degree. And that's, I don't, I'm not knocking that. Cause like, that's like, there's way bigger, way more important things than, than playing football on Sundays and, and all of those things. Right. But like, if you're looking for, like, we want guys that like want to run to the hard stuff and we want guys that want to be pushed and want to be coached hard and want to do all these things. You know, I, I, I would bet there's going to be a correlation between all these guys, not wavering, not jumping around, not doing that. And them also sticking through and you not seeing a huge mass exodus from this class. Like we saw with, you know, I mean, we, even before, you know, I think everybody knows this now. It's been well documented. Had Lincoln Riley stayed, the vast majority of that roster, like Marvin Mims and Theo Weiss and Hazelwood and Rattler, all these guys were going to transfer out. Like they were all going to leave. Yeah. You know, I mean, Barry was asking me on the X space to try and project if Lincoln had stayed, had one beat, you know, that they call pass interference. In the 21 Okie State game. Oh, you mean whenever he yeah. put uh, Trevon West in and like the most crucial play and decided to throw a jump ball to his 5'11 fourth string wide receiver? But who got, who got mugged? He did. He who got still mugged. got, <clears throat> he still got, got mugged. mugged. So they call, still got mugged. Still an outrageous non-call pass interference. But let's just say 
some some miracle happens and they beat Okie State and Lincoln Riley can't take the job. Barry was asking me on the the ex the Twitter space I do. What would Oklahoma's you know schedule you know um, results be? And I'm like, well, Barry, I, I have no clue who's staying on the current roster. Yeah, right. I mean, I, you know, Lincoln Riley had stayed. You know, does he fire Grinch? Did would he have let Grinch go? Are you, are you firing at least Manning at DB coach? He would, have, I mean, like, he would have eventually fired Grinch. He would have fired him this year, just like he did. Like I, you know, I put it in that in, in on the board. We were talking about this. I thought you could see how he treated Grinch this year and how he began as the, as the, as USC began to struggle, he started to separate himself from Grinch. He would on the sideline, he would not go near him, would not stand around him, would not go talk to him, was not supportive of him in game. You could see, right? Like, you know, it's right. What is it? Is it 75 or 80% of what someone says is, is nonverbal and all of the nonverbal communication you could see from Lincoln towards Grinch was completely unsupportive and you saw that trickle over toward i mean it was there were some really bad things where the grinch is out there talking to the defense before uh you know a timeout nobody's paying attention puts his hands up to do a break and they all just walk off like completely checked out like they know the head coach doesn't care so he would have used them as a scapegoat the same way he used them as a scapegoat yeah i mean it would have been oklahoma being in the place that usc's at right now where it is like you know signing a class that's between somewhere between 20 and 25 and freaking out like crazy, trying to go get, uh, you know, a portal guys. I think maybe the benefit Oklahoma would have had is uh, a guy like Lagway maybe, or one of these big time five-star quarterbacks would probably be headed to Norman out of Texas. Yeah, maybe, but it was funny. So, um, but I do think, you know, the, and to the point, if, you know, if Taylor Tatum hadn't signed today and said, I'm going to take visits in February, it would have been absolute free-for-all for him. I mean, it's not like, oh, you didn't have guys. If David Stone had said, like, a week ago, yeah, I'm not going to – I'm going to take some more visits. I'm going to open things back up. It's an absolute carnage fest of people throwing bags of money and trying to get him to go to their place for visits. Miami so, going in like crazy. <laughs> I mean, just, but, but, but Bama, Georgia, all these guys would be like, wait, you're back in, you're back in play. Oh, hell. And, and, and that's the other thing I'll say. It speaks to this class. And I guess the, whatever the, the job the coaches did of like building relationships with them and that these guys didn't waver because when you look around college football, you know, it's saw multiple coaches talking about this, uh, and said Hugh Freeze at Auburn, like he was pretty candid that they're in, in the South, right? It is, it's become just kind of what these schools do. They wait until like the last 24 to 48 hours and they call up and they say, I will give you a crazy amount of money if you will come to this school. If you will come to, if you'll flip to Miami, I'll give you, you know, uh, they're going to give you a hundred thousand. We'll give you two fifty if you will come here. You know, we'll guarantee you two fifty over the next three four years or whatever the numbers are. Right? I think I think a lot of it's inflated. Like a lot of it's bullcrap. You know, but I'm sure. You know, if it's hey, you were going to get thirty thousand, we'll give you a hundred and twenty thousand because there were some crazy flips, and so you know that Oklahoma players like David Stone, like Taylor Tatum. I'm sure Jaden Jackson, all these guys, they were getting those phone calls. But you know what? Or they were getting those text messages from intermediaries. But they they either weren't replying or they weren't entertaining those because they all just signed. Yeah, because it's don't, – don't think that no drama meant that, oh, you didn't sign 
guys who, if they had hit hit the market legitimately, had just decommitted for OU for whatever reason, whatever, um, wouldn't have been just. It wouldn't have been like carnage and a and a you know uh, demolition derby of people throwing money out of windows of cars at them. I mean, it would have been it would have been nuts. So, Caleb, we talked a little bit about the meltdowns. You mentioned the first one. Do you think Billy Napier's in trouble? That this is as this is as bad a signing day reversal as I can recall in a long time. I've never. And I was somewhat out of pocket today, so I was just seeing, you know, yeah. social media things here and there. But it seemed, it appeared as though every every couple every hour or so, there was a Florida kid just not signing with Florida. They were signing with you know Georgia, or they were signing. I think Miami had a hell of a day throwing bags of money around. I think they flipped some Florida State kids. They flipped some Miami or some uh, Florida kids. Yeah, they uh, flipped one from each. In. And they still and they still have the worst game day coach in college football. So oh, well, you know, I think it, it, it's it, it's it's a black hole. It's a black hole. And they all all crystal balls done by signing like by potentially a top five classes. He's increased the pressure and the expectation of him on the field, which is his biggest problem. It's so. it's, it's it's a wild deal uh, because like yeah, you, you look at Manny Diaz's record at, at, at Miami, and it was far better. And he didn't lose; he wasn't getting blown out, which you know Chris Ball's been blown out a bunch both this year and last year. I mean, Middle Tennessee put like fifty on him last year, uh, so yeah, I agree. He's he's just ratcheted that up. You know the 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 pressure, and I don't know who their you know, you, quarterback's going to be. I'm sure they'll. Pay somebody from the portal to try to get Cam in. Cam Ward. I mean, I guess that just FSU and Miami are probably Cam Ward's just sitting back, like you know. But I'll say this: penthouse. but they both better look out for Syracuse because Syracuse might start running the uh, the ACC the way they've hired a great staff because kids want to play. They, for they the staff. picked him a bunch of and kids. They picked a bunch of kids. So you got UF. You already mentioned Colorado with the 98th ranked high school football recruiting class well, in the, the nation. The wildest thing about that is, and it it really gets put into contrast when you talk about eight of Oklahoma's. So Oklahoma has 20 kids that are going to arrive early at, at the mid year, and eight of those are going to go through bowl practice. I thought it was only two, but eight yeah, that's of them- from that's that that data points from Josh McQuistion on Sooner Scoopy. They posted that on their uh, signing day. And you know what? It may be. It may be. It may be that you know the two were you know Xavier Robinson. I forget the other one. Uh, and Hawkins. I knew and Hawkins, Hawkins and Xavier and maybe, Robinson. Maybe they were just. Maybe they were taking part of some of the practices in Norman this past week. That might have been what it was. And the other ones, like last year, I think there were three or four. And they, they met. They met, they they met, met them at the bowl game. And so maybe the additional six are going to meet them at, at the bowl game and have that week, which. To me, it's still big because it just gets you, you know, anytime you can it's get culture. This, yeah, this, this is the way we do anytime things. Anytime you can get open the fire hose and then you can detach from it, you can go, okay, right? Like you can start to see it from different angles. And I think you can, you can learn it better. Uh, but Oklahoma, eight kids are going to play, are going to go through the bowl practice. Flor- uh, Colorado signed five total high school players. Like, and what's shocking about that is you're like, well, you know, it's, they had to really flip that roster over. They did that last year. They did it last cycle. So they're following up again this cycle. So it's like, I don't know, what is the definition of insanity? I can't remember. 
Uh, if someone could remind It's me. trying the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I, I, I say this sometimes. Followed up, by my, followed up by my other favorite saying, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean people aren't out to get you. But, you, know. <laughs> That's, you know, like I'll say this. Sometimes with Dion, I think it can be difficult to dislike him. But in moments like this, it's also – and you see a lot of the stuff that's kind of come out of that program, some of the chatter, you know, about like – there was some talk about the reason they – Well, and you, you know the coaches they've left have trashed the crap out of them. Oh, well, the Sean you know Lewis. They have. Sean, like, I don't think he trashed them. But like there was talk that – I don't think he had to. I don't think he had yeah. to. I think his co- – I think the colleagues in the business were like – this That's is a, a scumbag. Really good co- yeah, they're like, this is a really good coach. And, and he got – that's a scumbag move by Dion, Dion to him. I mean, it absolutely looks on the surface as though – and I I hate to say this because uh, I kind of like – I do like Dion, but it really does look like everything he does, like it does not have Colorado and any kid he's signing. Like you have nothing to do with it. Like those kids, when I say that, like it ain't about you. He ain't trying to develop you. He's not trying to make the Colorado program better. He's not trying to do all that. All of that that does occur, that's just gravy. Like that's just happening as a, as a part of it. What this is about is it's about Shadur and his him playing quarterback and him getting drafted really high. That's all this is about. I think you look at it like, you know, Dion coached him in high school, and as soon as he was getting recruited, you know, Shador didn't take these power five offers and went to where Dion could get a head coaching job. And then he transfers with him. I'll be shocked if Dion coaches at Colorado. I'll be quite honest with you. I'll be shocked if he coaches at Colorado once Shadour's gone. I think he's probably gone. If you've seen the interview with them asking, it was uh, Shannon Sharp on his podcast, and he asked Dion, like, why did you get into coaching? Like, I knew you, known you forever. When we played against each other, you know, when I was with the Broncos, you were at the Cowboys, and when we played with each other on the Ravens, you never said you wanted to coach. And Dion says, oh, well, I didn't, but I went to my son's practices, and I was, you know, seeing these coaches do stuff, and I'd go, hey, it's probably better to do it this way. And he realized, oh, wait a second. I know better than the coach does, and he probably did. I, mean, I know that he did, right? I mean, you talk about a Hall of Famer. Uh, been around lots of Hall of Fame coaches. I mean, the Duke played for you know, George Seifert and Barry Switzer and, uh, you know, and Bobby Bowden. And you're right. I mean, he's been around some dudes. Uh, Jerry Glanville. <laughs> Jerry Glanville. Brian, Brian <laughs> Billick. Uh, you know, I do love Jerry Glanville. Uh, right. But and he, he was like, oh, I'm going to go do this because I got to help my son. And I think I think that's the focus of it. And everything about it is just it is a short term. How can we go rent as many guys as we possibly can to get him in here and help help Shadur? And that was the talk, right? With Sean Lewis, even was Sean was wanting to do certain things for the team, and it was no, like we this is about Shadur and his stats. It's one of those things where I think he took something like four x more sacks than any other quarterback, and everybody blames yeah. the offensive line. But then you would hear coaches and be like, he's not throwing the ball away. Like it's clear, he, like he needs to get rid of the ball here, and he's holding on to it. And then one of the theories was like he's holding on to the ball because he doesn't want his completion percentage to be to come down. He doesn't want to throw the ball out of bounds because it's going to take him from like seventy four percent completion, where if he threw those out of bounds, it would drop him to sixty four or sixty two, and he doesn't want that. He wants to pad his stats. Uh, so. Yeah, I, I, it does look like Dion is not in that thing for the long haul because I don't know how you can make an argument that you build a program. 
by doing nothing but poaching the kids that can't play at other power five programs, you know, and there's like, there are some, I think that were leaving programs where there were coaching changes, you know, it's, you know, like places like Michigan state and Indiana, you know, and there, there are some programs like that where, you know, Indiana in particular, uh, I thought, you know, uh, Tom Allen was a good coach. It's a hard program and he had some, some good players and some spots and same thing with Michigan state, right? Like it was, uh, Good talent, Mel Tucker. New talent, t- I mean, yeah, you know, and it was just one of those. You know, it's. I think it, it's difficult. Like it's Big Ten's a good league and uh, kind of a middle of the road program. And if you don't have, you know, if you're if you're lacking here or there in some key spots, it yeah, everybody knows this, right? We watched Oklahoma go six and seven. It when those margins get shrunk, something here or something there doesn't go your way. It's real easy to go from hey, you could win nine games to you only win six, and so. You know, uh, I don't mean to crap on any of the players. There, I don't don't want that to sound like I'm crapping on any of the players they took in the portal. It's just shocking. But it's, it's not a it's not a long term dev strategy. It's just not. It's not. It's not to take to take five kids out of uh, take five high school kids. And I think those five high school kids, you look at, it, I think it's like you know, high rated like two high weight high ranked like wide receivers. Like he's not he's not signing high school offensive linemen or high school defensive linemen trying to develop them. You know. Uh, or does it appear that way? Maybe, maybe they tried. It's like one. There's one defensive tackle from Georgia. He got. Yeah. Um, well, the, the question I would have, Chris, is, you know, late in the cycle, a bunch of kids decommitted from Colorado and went elsewhere. And I don't I remember there being any chatter as to why, but all those kids were high school recruits. And so, like, one of my immediate questions is, like, were they told? You know, did Dion go to them and say, "Hey, like, we're not." You know, you you need to go find somewhere else because we're going to use your scholarship for a transfer from another school that can come in here and play right away because we don't have the time or we're not going to wait for you to, you know, be what you can be in three years. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's it, it's a mess. Two of the other schools that had kind of weird days, FSU, who should be like, who have been recruiting really well, right? And should be, you wouldn't think are lacking momentum, well, Georgia steals KJ KJ Bolden on signing day, the number one safety in the country from Buford, Georgia. I mean, just it's a top fifteen player in the country. I mean, it's like OU basically, you know, getting ready. Brent's going to have his press conference, and someone tells him David Stone signed with Texas. I mean, it's the equivalent of it. Um, and then they, and then Armando Blunt, who committed to Miami, reclassified, decommitted from Miami, committed to FSU. Decommitted from FSU, signed with Miami. Um, you got all that? I, I, I that. <laughs> That's a lot. That again. <laughs> and he's done that all in the space of like a month, basically. Um, so FSU has this. And then Ohio State nearly had a meltdown day. First off, Ohio State lost a wide receiver to Oregon. Now, Oregon's a good program, but dude, if you're a wide receiver, yeah, that was shocking. What in the hell are you doing not going to Ohio State? Yeah, that was when I saw that, that was the first thing where you, you I personally, you know, you looked at it and you're like, wait a second. They lost, you know, a, a five star wide receiver in the portal that was a, one of the ro- primary rotational guys. And yes, you lost Fleming, yeah, Fleming. Yeah, Fleming, former five star, like top guy. And you lost Kyle McCord. Your starting quarterback has jumped in the portal. And I thought, okay, well, that's, that's really odd, but, you know, 
Ryan Day's put out some first-round draft picks. C.J. Stroud's doing great. There's probably somebody lined up that's coming in and will come in immediately. Like, that hasn't happened at all. And, it's, nah. and so it's, I was, okay. And so seeing that, when you saw, like, wait a second, you know, here's this top wide receiver in the class that's bolting and going to Oregon, and it looks like their top defensive lineman might be going to Alabama. I maybe was like, oh, my crap. I'm like, what's going on? Like, how's Ohio State falling apart? They salvaged that, but because um, Edric um, Houston did sign with them, but they lost Justin Scott to Miami. And that's, um, I mean, and, wild. And Jeremiah, Jeremiah Smith, just while, we, while we've been talking, finally sent in his letter of intent today. Oh, man. Um, which is just crazy. And then, so you've got, I mean, again, Ohio State's, a, I mean, everyone, you know, I mean, sometimes, you know, everyone you know, says, oh, you doesn't have their NIL act act together. And I'm not really sure whether we, you know, that's another, that's a whole radio, that's a whole other podcast. But we know Ohio State does. They have a massive alumni base, massive. I lived in Chicago. You couldn't swing a dead cat without hitting an Ohio State Buckeye fan. They had like, they had four or five, four, they had like six watch parties across the, across downtown Chicago, right? I mean, they're a massive, the massive university. What's his name? Trestle. The reason Trestle's not there is because they had that NIL program running so well prior to it being yeah. legal. <laughs> he had to resign because of all yeah. those players getting like, I mean, you know. Yeah. So, so Ohio State, I mean, I mean, I, 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 like I said, I want to nuke the program, but they're, when you talk blue bloods who have everything going for them, when Ohio State is having a panic day on signing day, you know, things are, you know, Brian Day is, you know, visibly relieved when he hears kids are signing during the middle of their press conference. You know, things are just a little, just a little crazy. So, but it's great to Colorado, but, but Caleb, my number one favorite story of the day, though, is Jordan Seaton not signing with Colorado, saying he's going to sign with Maryland, not signing with Maryland and opening things back up to other programs. Oh, man. Which means that's that's code for who wants to pay the most. I mean, it's it's it's. I mean, I'm glad OU got off that merry-go-round. And well, I think like, that I think in some regards it feels like that. Again, when we talk about like you know qualifiers and disqualifiers, it feels like that's a hand raiser. That here you've got one of the best offensive line coaches in the country. You got a DMV kid, which he is. He he's a DMV kid yep. that played it played at uh, IMG. Which Oklahoma's got a great relationship with IMG with Brent and those have they've known them really well from the time at uh, Clemson, and so like all this really connects. You've got teammate, teammates, teammates signing with Oklahoma. Yeah, teammates, multiple teammates signing with Oklahoma. You know, you've got uh, Anton Harrison that he a kid he knows well that is first yep. round draft pick. You know, looks like a future Pro Bowler. Uh, doing fantastic starting right tackle for the uh, Jaguars, right? Which Right there, right down the road from IMG. I mean, it's like, okay, all this really adds up. Oklahoma needs offensive tackles like crazy. They're recruiting you. He talks about, oh, I still want to visit OU. It looks like, you know, I always like, ah, like we're not playing that game, you know. Uh, and it looks like a game that he enjoys playing <laughs> because. Uh, and 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 and, and I've, I'm always starting to wonder, and I'm not accusing him of anything, but it does have an air of Eric Dickerson keeping the A&M Trans Am to it, does it not? Well, I always thought that like, was a great story. Yeah, but, you know, but it has a, it, but it has a, a little bit of an air like, 
Oh, yeah. Um, did I agree to do this? No, 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 no. And I'm keeping what you gave me because good luck giving it and getting it back because you weren't supposed to give it to me in the first place. So screw you. And I'm going to go get some more stuff from some other people. It's almost, I mean, in the, it's almost like Hartley Dykes, you know, situation. I, I'm, I'm, I'm honestly anticipating him signing with like just like, he signed with who? Like Miami. USC? It'll be Miami. It'll be like, oh, wait, Miami signed him? Like, what? how did that come out of nowhere? It's like, oh, okay, that makes yeah. sense. No, that, that makes sense. So that's my favorite story from that. So that's the, I mean, again, today, I mean, literally, Caleb, I think five of the top 10 running backs switched schools in the last three days. And OU, t- Taylor Tatum was, and our fan base is freaking out when Taylor Tatum is just seems to be temporarily missing for just 15 minutes. Right. Meanwhile, every other fan, you know, Alabama lost and I think lost and got back three different running backs in the last five days. Alabama, <laughs> Alabama, not not Mississippi, not, you know, not Kansas, not Iowa State, Al- Alabama <laughs> lost <laughs> and got back like three running backs in the last uh, in the last three days, it was just, it was, I'm just like, this is nuts. I'm glad, you know, we've got legit guys that could be in this mess, but they're just, they're not doing a damn thing. It so. is wild. It is. I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm hopeful. It does feel like there might be a light at the end of the tunnel, seeing how much when you combine, you know, was it Emmert? Is that who the head of the NCAA is right yes. now? No, no, it's, co- a new, it's a different guy. New guy. So Emmert's gone. So when you see whoever the current head is come out and talk about, having two divisions like breaking up yes yeah the you know yeah. division one into like you know a, like really kind of almost peeling away power five and group five although i would yeah. argue there are programs like a vanderbilt that don't need to be in like you know what i mean like to me it's always like it's bullcrap if you're telling me like washington state doesn't deserve to be a part of this but vanderbilt does because of where they're located like nashville's like a gem of a town right but i mean well this vanderbilt- is where you need promotion this is where you need promotion and relegation. I don't like that so much as <laughs> like I don't like that because it, it goes back you're just, to you're like just not that big enough. You're not the big enough soccer fan. If you were enough of a soccer fan, this would be a, a perfectly seamless transition of a topic for you. But when I say EPL, you you know you you think Eddie Pierre Louis, not English Premier League. So hundred percent, I gotta know what English Premier League is. So, but yeah, it, it is it is messed up. And then Chip Kelly. Everybody loves. Everybody loves. I was going to say when you combine that, like that has gotten. I think everybody in the world, like every major sports podcast, sports radio show, you know, I've seen uh, like Dan Patrick and like all these guys are talking about it, and they're Josh all like, Pegg, "Josh Page does twenty minutes." I will say this though, like I don't have a platform, but this this is my idea. Like I have this, like, <laughs> like put us on the, on our, on our site, like two years ago. And, and it's just, it's funny. And it takes me to that, uh, the true detective, like, you know, Matthew McConaughey, where he takes that beer can smash. It says time is a flat circle because that's what oh, this yeah. is. Yeah. Is this going like, it's the, it's, if we, if they can do it, it's saying, Hey, you know what? Like it's, I don't know. There's a generational thing where each generation has to do something different simply for the sake of doing something different so they can tell their ego that they were smarter than the previous generation because they did it differently. Because it's like, hey, now we're just going to circle back to pre-1984 before Georgia 
in Oklahoma sued the NCAA and they realized like, Hey, at that time, the school wanted the ability to control their TV, right? I individually. And then they they got five, six years removed from that. And they're like, well, it's actually better if we just, uh, if we bundle those rights with other schools and now they're getting like, well, actually better if we bundle those rights with even more schools, you know, and it's, it maybe it's just needs to be like schools, but yeah, I mean, if you can get to that point, you know, I, I think that's the saving grace and hope for college football. If you've got the NCAA president saying it maybe needs to be broken into, you know, two sixty-four team leagues or a seventy and a, you know, a seventy and a sixty-five yeah. or whatever that's going to be, and then you've got Chip Kelly's comments about how to break that up, catching so much fire. You know, I, I think that would be it would be you know ideal and perfect for the sport. It would save the sport. It would keep it, it, it would it would it would give them the ability to say, okay, with that, no more, you know, the NIL, you're gonna sign that away to this league when you or come in. Or you're not in. gonna play. Or you're yeah, not gonna play. You're gonna sign that away to this league when you come in. And when you do, you're also gonna get a share of revenue. So part of this TV money is going to come back to you. Part of it, you know, the $50 that you would make or whatever it is from the video game, because those sons of bitches don't understand economics and it actually doesn't make much money or it makes a lot of money, but not enough to distribute, you know, a million dollars across 2,300 players. Right. So yeah, it's not a $23 billion <laughs> yearly industry. Yeah. Like, you're not paying everybody a million dollars off this thing. And so but it's not like, it's not like it's, it's not like a trillion, you know, you know, some of these things like, you realize this that is you, not you, Exxon you know, Mobile. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, you know, this is an Apple. You know, this is this is a video game on on a platform that maybe has a million people. You know, five million people worldwide have the platform. Yeah, I mean, college, and they're not all they're not all playing the damn college football game. Yeah, I okay, mean, I mean, you look at like college football is still really niche. You know, it's really really niche compared to even the NFL globally, right? Yes. And so, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that it would be the saving grace for to me of college football. You would be able to get rid of the tampering. You'd be able to get rid of all of this, just the crazy transfer portal stuff. Uh, you know, because I mean, the transfer portal is going to destroy the playoff next year. You will have national signing day and the portal during the middle of a twelve team playoff. You have to you have to stop and go to court on it and at least fight it through the courts one time. Stop the twelve playoff teams from losing players to the portal. But it's you wild because if it's still the portal, I've heard people say that. I don't know how you fix that because the only time that makes sense for the portal is between semesters. So kids can get transferred and enrolled. And that's when all this stuff's going on. The only way you could do it is if like you moved the season up, started it like mid August instead of the last weekend in August. So you can get the playoffs done and you have playoffs done in December, national championship early, like, you know, Early January, right? Well, I mean, there there is there is an ugly way to do it, and it's not. And what is the only transfer portal window is after spring? Yeah, that's it. And then, I mean, you know what? That's that's great though, because you know what kids would probably do? It would stick around a little bit more. They would go through conditioning. They would get coached up a little bit more. You're, in, you're instantly eligible, yes. and it would stop a lot of this. I'm going to fix my roster. I'm going to fix my roster overnight. Nonsense. Yeah, so. It would help everybody. All right. All right, the last topic, last topics on 2024 signing day to get back to it. So, Don McKinley did not sign his letter of intent with Texas A&M today. He could sign tomorrow. I think he has to do Friday to do it. No sign he's doing that. 
Now, it looks like LSU is probably somehow working their way into the win here, but LSU may be firing their D-line coach because Kelly has to Kelly has to redo that defensive line, that whole defensive staff, right? Yeah. He's already fired the DC, and we know DCs want their own defensive line coach. So that means they have to reset their recruiting relationships again with a kid who's all about long-term relationships. So keep an eye on that. Dalen Evans also, I don't think, signed today and is not planning on signing. He's talking a whole bunch of uh, nonsense about Texas, which is probably pissing off AM fans left and right. But anyway. Yeah, going to um, burn that bridge. So Evans, Evans can take a visit to OU in January if he wants to. Does he visit? I don't know. But he still may be in play. And then Terry Bussey also did not sign today. Um, I'm not sure OU has space for him. I'm not sure if you've got one spot left. Um, I, I'm not I'm as talented as Terry Bussey is. I'm I'm sorry. I'm going to go to the mattresses with a defensive lineman instead. Yeah, I, you know, with Bussey, I, I would say this. Uh, you know, I, I think help me out here. The Dion Burks, like. Burks to me, and just the portal. You can two four seven as a good portal tracker. I don't know. I think they do. I think they do a really good job. They probably update it when kids are kind of officially in, or when it's been confirmed. But you filter on like receivers. My God, like it gives credence back again to that old Mike Leach thing about you know that's why the, yeah, the top sure, yeah. teams like. You know, you can't find a kid that's six six and lean, and you know, two hundred eighty pounds and lean that can walk and chew bubble gum at the same time at the local mall. But well, you can find a lot of five foot ten, one hundred eighty pound kids walk around the mall, uh, and, and that's the thing. I think a guy like Dion Burks just takes a guy like Bussy, and not that you know, in the long term, maybe Bussy's a better player, maybe Burks is. Don't really care about to have that discussion in that regard. It's just. You know, finding a slot receiver that's got that type of potential. And Oklahoma just went and grabbed like the top guy out of the portal in Deion Burks and plugged him in. And you've got, you know, you've got Henry and you've got uh, Raggins. I guess it's Raggins. Both those guys are are burners, are, are really fast guys. You know, say what you want about, you know, KJ. Like, I know he's not as highly ranked, but when I watch the film, you know, I see he flies. Yeah, I see a slot, I see a slot guy that can fly and be a return guy and and do be a really good player. And so I'm with you on that. I just don't know why, you know, you unless unless Bussy came to you and said, I really want to play corner and uh you felt like he could be a, a year one guy at that position. You know, to me it's it's Dom McKinley number one. Yeah, I think I, I I could not think more of the kid, at least on this tape, and what he looks like on the hoof. He looks like, you know, give him one summer, and he will be a first off the bus guy. He's going to be like a, you know, you know the Jerry Clower, my godson, just like you know, just looking at you. I'll draft you in the first round. You know, uh, I will say I do have a, a tiny bit of a red flag with him. Uh, it's interesting one, and then Dalen Evans. You know, I'm a I'm a big fan just in terms of you tell me someone that's six four and a half and two hundred and seventy pounds as a senior in high school and moves like he does. You're probably telling me someone that's gonna be six four, two eighty-five or two ninety by the time they show up for summer conditioning, you know, and he'll probably play college at a you know, lean athletic two ninety-five. 
300 pound, you know, defensive tackle and, and be maybe a guy that has some position flexibility. I guess maybe the only thing about Dalen Evans is if you're Oklahoma and now you can never have enough of them, but you've got Nigel Smith that, you know, fits that, that is a, you know, six four, six five, two hundred and seventy yeah. pound athletic guy. But again, you can never have no team ever said we just have too many athletic defensive linemen. We have too many athletic big guys. But with McKinley, I will say like my only concern in terms of red flag with him is like what I talked a little bit about earlier with Alfred Collins, where it was he was like, I just want to go to Texas and that's where I want to be. You know, I do worry a little bit about McKinley. Is is it just like ah, he wants to go to A and M, and that's just where he wants to be, and he just likes it there and wants to hang out there? And it, football, yeah, I'll play football while I'm at college there. You know, uh, is that how he's wired? If you told me like the no, the kid is all in. He's going to show up every day and grind and bust his butt. And he loves football and he wants to be a great football player. I mean, you could. I would if you told me you thought he was the best defensive tackle in this class from a projection, I wouldn't argue with you. You know, I would say like I think David Stone's there, but if he said, "Hey, here's why I think Don McKinley's you know ranked as number one from I think what they'll be in college and moving forward," I, I would not argue with you because I think he's that talented. Yeah, so I think you've got a if you know you have a full class, you have a full roster. McKinley and Evans, the guys you play out just because the next year's class. Doesn't have you say that those guys are rare, right? Six foot five, 280, 75 pound guys who can move. They're a rare commodity. That's right. Well, to, but to that point, there's not many of them in the 25 class. Yeah. I mean, there's again a gaggle of elite wide receivers. Always. Um, so I'm not a big, always, I'm not a big fan of, uh, I'm not a big fan of like five star wide receivers. And I don't mean that they don't exist. I'm just not with the plethora of guys. I'm not a big fan of a wide receiver being a five star, you know, like you kind of got to be a rare dude. It's like Auburn is ranked. Auburn's class is ranked in front of Oklahoma's in terms of recruiting rankings. And it only is so because they signed two five star wide receivers, you know, and it's one of those things of like, you know, what they and are? Did, did Ohio State want either of those guys? Because if not, they're not a five star guy. <laughs> well, right? Even I mean, if they did, it's like you know, it's a good example, right? Like you know, you think of uh, oh gosh, the kid from Lake Travis that played at uh, Ohio State, Garrett you know, Wilson. Garrett, Garrett Wilson, Wilson, right? It's like okay, what's the difference between Garrett Wilson and like Cooper Cup? Cooper Cup's better. I mean, there's that difference. <laughs> you know what I mean? I guess there's a comp- yeah, but but at a high school, at a high school, right? Cooper Cup is two star, no star. Going to, you know, going to is it Eastern Washington? Eastern, is that or, right? Eastern or Western Washington? And that's what I mean, right? It's like uh, you can line up the wide receiver, the top wide receivers in the NFL, and there's just a plethora of them, and it's like this is really similar, and it's just. I don't know. It's like the offensive line guys a little bit, right? I, I can, I can, you could, I can give you every guess all day to guess the starting colleges for five offensive linemen in the NFL, and you're never going to guess all five, well, right? Yeah, it's a, a lot of like midwestern schools and like division and like one double A and and then like and then Philadelphia has a guy who played rugby in Australia, never played college, never played college football, so yeah. it's like. You know, so and that's the thing, yeah, and, and that's just the thing, right? It's like you know, you're just when I look at like receivers, and I don't mean that like you know, Justin Jefferson's don't grow on trees, right? And I don't mean that they do, but there's just a lot more 
again, there's a lot more guys that are 5'10 to 6 foot to 6 foot 1 and athletic and run and everybody wants to play receiver these days where it's like is a five star is this Calvin Johnson, yeah, Julio it Jones used to be this like rare like program changing, like just unique unicorn. Like these guys don't come along very often. And now it's like you look at the top, you know, the, the five stars every year. It's like, well, there's five wide receivers. It's like, well, those are they're not really five stars. You're just saying like the top five guys that are the top five wide receivers in your mind this year all get that, you know. Yeah, they're not. They're, yeah, they're, so, but that's why I like the OU class. Um, oh, Kearney's a, the twenty to twenty the twenty five class as well, right? Because you got the they, they're they're playing both sides of the ball. You know, they're athletes, multi sport guys. It's like you know, they're just they're not like these diva wide receivers who are just like you know, I'm only doing one thing and one thing to get my team where we need to be. Right. Know? It's like so, but yeah. All right. Well, that's uh. That's 90 good minutes on the portal stuff, a lot of portal stuff, a lot of meltdown stuff today, a lot of news. We'll do us part two. They'll be focused purely on the recruiting class. We're going to have some fun with talking about our favorite guys and, and stuff like that. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, I can be followed on Twitter, slash X, CM underscore Sooners 360. If you want all of the content we're going to be pushing out about this recruiting class now that it's officially in, Please follow us on Sooners360.com and subscribe for my content. Uh, Also, I'm doing Twitter spaces with Barry Wise uh, of the Barry and Mac show on Mondays. We won't be doing one this coming Monday because that's Christmas and we're not that silly. Um, But we do them on Mondays where we talk about all things OU recruiting. Um, Where I talk about recruiting and Barry asks me difficult questions on other topics, such as what is OU's record if Lincoln Riley stays? Um, I don't know. I don't know how to calculate that. Um, so we'll do. Uh, so uh, so we'll have that. That's content where you can find us all. Uh, we're recording this Wednesday night. We should hopefully have this up Thursday for your entertainment. Thanks again, and uh, we will be back with part two, where we're going to delve into some arguments over the recruiting class in terms of uh, who likes who and who doesn't like who doesn't like certain players. So tough questions like that. Thanks, everyone. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. 
Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.